Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, listening friends. Today, we're going to turn our attention to one of the real humanitarian crises and religious freedom crises in our world today and bring you up to date on some developments in Syria. Our guest is Elijah Brown, Executive Vice President of the 21st Century Wilberforce Initiative and recently returned from meeting with some Syrian church leaders in Lebanon. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Well, it's an honor to join you, and thank you for all that you're doing to help support and promote religious freedom around the world. And, you know, our listeners may not be familiar with the 21st Century Wilberforce Initiative. Why don't you start with a quick introduction and do include a website so they can find you. The 21st Century Wilberforce Initiative was started three years ago. We're working to empower a global movement to advance religious freedom as a universal right through advocacy, capacity building, and technology. We have two offices, one just outside Washington, D.C., and one in Dallas, Texas, that's focused on mobilizing the church. Our website is 21, that's the number 21wilberforce.org, and every Tuesday we put out a free alert which highlights one situation from somewhere around the world and always concludes with an action step that you can take to address that situation today. Wonderful. So, listeners, yeah, if you care and you hear the stories about who's suffering persecution around the world, that's a great resource to be able to actually do something. And we're very grateful to have another partner dealing with what has really become a crisis, you know, level of religious intolerance globally. But let's focus on on Syria and uh, tell us, I know you were saying that uh, you had the opportunity to meet with Christian leaders um, from Syria in Lebanon recently. What was the occasion? Well, that's right. Just a few weeks ago, we were able to host a conference that brought 70 church leaders from 16 different churches and six different cities and multiple denominations into Lebanon for a four-day conference. And we had representatives there who have very intentional ministries, children to youth, to women, to men, and pastoral leadership. About 40% of the participants were, were women. And so it was a wonderful opportunity to help these 70 leaders, all of whom have pledged to stay inside Syria, not only hear their stories, but to work with them in developing strategic plans as they seek to reach out to their communities inside Syria today to bless their communities. And the theme for all of this was the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, as all of our listeners will remember, was a leader who was living really in the comfort and the wealth of a powerful nation at that time, learned of news that was happening elsewhere inside the Middle East, and was so moved by the reports that he heard, so convicted by the stories that were brought to him, that he really moved into a city devastated by war and that was experiencing an active famine and worked to rebuild that country. And that's what so many of these leaders inside Syria are doing today. They're working to rebuild their church and rebuild their community. 
Well, you know, we here in America, we have a vision of Syria as a war-torn country. Is there, you know, and lots and lots of refugees, is there anything approaching, quote, normal life and normal church life for people in Syria? All of the church leaders with whom we've heard really have twofold story. The first part of that story is tremendous difficulty. There are some areas inside Syria, especially down along the coast, that are virtually untouched physically by the war. But all of those areas are host to hundreds of thousands of displaced people. There are more displaced individuals inside Syria than any other country in the world. So even those areas that have not been physically impacted by the war are all touched by those who have been displaced. So the first story that we often hear, and I'd be honored to share some of those stories, is really of incredible tragedy. The second part of that story, though, is often of churches striving to be a light, a city on the hill. And many of these churches, certainly not all of them, but many of at least the evangelical and Protestant churches are experiencing a time of growth and witness, even in the midst of this great tragedy. I think about a Baptist church inside Damascus, and that Baptist church has been bombed. That pastor has been interrogated late in the middle of the night. He's experienced tremendous difficulties, and yet over the last 10 years, that Baptist church has grown from four to over a thousand individuals, and they have seen incredible miracles. And I'll give you just one example. Earlier this year, this pastor left his home and was walking to his church office, and he heard the sound of a rifle, and then he looked down at his feet, and a bullet had stopped at his feet, and he bent down his story, his words, was that he bent down and he picked up that bullet and he said, God, I will continue to be faithful to you and to the assignment you have given me to do, because I know you will keep me safe until my assignment has been completed. So you're saying that it, it was as though God had literally stopped the bullet and dead in its tracks? That was his story to us. Wow. And many of these individuals have seen incredible miracles, not only inside Syria, but among, we've heard similar kinds of stories in Lebanon, among individuals who are working with Syrian refugees. So when we talk about the church inside Syria, we really have to keep in mind two elements. First of all, there's the historic Catholic and Orthodox churches in Syria and in Iraq, and those churches have seen tremendous devastation. They have seen just unbelievable harm. In Iraq, for example, in the last decade, the Historic churches have plummeted from one and a half million to under 250,000, maybe under 200,000. A very small subset inside both Iraq and Syria are the more evangelical and Protestant churches. Those particular churches are seeing really significant growth, more growth than they've really ever seen uh, or certainly seen in many, many, many years. Growth under the most difficult circumstances, I might add. Well, that's exactly right. I think about a, a mother who attended this conference we did just a few weeks ago who, who shared her story. Her name is Haya, and she's a mother of four, and she described how a radicalized group really swept through her community one winter just a couple of years ago. And she said snow blanketed the ground as the insurgents took, it's hard to say this, but they gathered together inside the community, the smallest infants in the community, and then climbed to the tallest buildings 
and threw the babies from the roof. Oh, and Aya and her family were captured and put inside a basement. Um, some of the men who were captured alongside of them were decapitated on the spot. Some of the women were forced to strip naked in the middle of winter and run through the snow uh, in circles. And she described what it was like, you know, passing by and seeing rotting and bloating bodies that were lining the streets. After three days, Haya and her family were released and they found refuge in an apartment that was nearby. And she said it was so cold. There was no heat. There was no fire. There was no nothing. She said it was so cold that our feet would freeze to the ground uh, as we were standing there. And they ran out of food. Uh, they were down when they left. She said we were down to the point where we were taking one olive and rationing that olive, one olive per person per day. And so after 18 days, she and her family fled on foot for seven hours to Damascus to escape the fighting and to escape uh, that horrific situation. And when they got into Damascus, and this is what's so remarkable, when they got into Damascus, the whole family was just filled with spiritual longing and understanding and trauma, and they turned to a nearby church. And they began to attend that church, and they found uh, the hope of the gospel there, and so we were here. We were just a few weeks ago, and Haya was, you know, we're at breakfast, and she's describing this horrific story. And then she looks up, and this is what she said: She said, "Even though I lost everything, I gained Jesus Christ." What a powerful story! Well, this is just one of many, and that's what is so remarkable, and why I think the story of Nehemiah is such a powerful story for all of us, even today. Go back and read Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. It's really the story of somebody who became aware and whose awareness moved him to action. And for me, that's a powerful example. Can I be moved from awareness to personal reflection, to prayer, and to action? What are the kinds of things you said at the outset that the weekly emails that the 21st Century Wilberforce Initiative sends out, that there's always a response you know, more than just giving money, that there's something for people that they can do practically to make a difference. Can you give me an example of the kinds of things that you're mobilizing the grassroots um, to do? The first thing is to say every one of us has a voice, and we have a circle of influence. What we post on our social media matters. These are often stories and realities which are simply not covered. I'm so grateful for your radio program and for what you're doing right now to highlight these issues, and every one of us can do the same kind of thing. What we teach in our small groups and in our, you know, in our churches also matters. You know, on our website that's up right now called speakfreedomtexas.org, and on that website, we just finished a unique campaign inside Texas. To, we partnered with 5,300 churches inside Texas to help drive some unique awareness around there, and we have uh, small group lessons and prayer guides that every teacher could use inside their inside their congregation and inside their small groups to help bring awareness about this. You know how we encourage our elected representatives to handle these issues really matters. I'll give an example. HR 390 relates to Iraq, not to Syria. HR 390 is a bill that was passed unanimously by the United States House of Representatives, and the end result of that bill would be to help the communities inside Iraq that have been persecuted and experienced genocide and to help hold accountable uh, the individuals who perpetrated these crimes. And unfortunately, it's held inside the Senate today. 
And so I would encourage each one of us to reach out to our members of the Senate and say, H.R. 390 is the bill that we care about because we care about those who have experienced genocide. So whether it's in our personal spheres of influence, whether it's in our churches, whether it's with our elected representatives, we can make a difference. I'll give an example. When we were at this conference, here we are with these Syrian leaders who've experienced these kinds of tragedies. And at the end, we asked each one of them, each one of these churches, what they would do to work on behalf of, uh, on behalf of the church inside Syria today. And at the end of this conference, here's what they pledged to do. They pledged collectively to reach 370 new people with the hope of the gospel. They pledged to start 119 new discipleship small groups and to train 141 new ministry leaders. As we were all moved to hear these Syrian leaders stand up and say, we're going to start small groups and we're going to train ministry leaders and we're going to provide hope and help and understanding to our communities that have been impacted, I couldn't help but think, you know, what's my role and what's our responsibility? And one of those participants pulled us to the side and, and she said this. She said, I'm so utterly exhausted. And some days I just feel trauma. And she said, I try to pray, but some days I don't have the energy to pray anymore. But then I remind myself that I can depend on the church in the West to pray for us. Wow. And I just stopped to think, are we, is her, is that dependency being fulfilled? Good challenge for all of us listening. I want to encourage you to just Google H.R. 390 and you'll see the Iraq and Syria Genocide Relief and Accountability Act of 2017 that's going to provide much help. We're out of time today. Our guest, Elijah Brown, Executive Vice President of the 21st Century Wilberforce Initiative. Wonderful, powerful stories of how God's working in Syria. We hear about persecution. We don't often get to hear how the Holy Spirit is working and blessing those in great adversity. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.